0: been talking about um how all across the country you can't you can't go to the park in some places some places they've closed down the golf courses that sort of stuff but it is uh, important that we look at it from the standpoint of peaceable assembly it, it, in so many places across the country right now they've said no get-togethers of more than in some places two people okay well that means i can't have any sort of get-together for political reasons that is that is a constitutional right you've decided that this is important enough to say no to that S- you still get to say no even though the numbers have turned out to be not near as devastating as we thought and for how long and to lapse into legal schoolies there needs to be a high bar
1: for that sort of restriction of our constitutional rights well what a perfect time to have a conversation with judge douglas ginsburg uh justice ginsburg has served on the uh, Court of Appeals for the District of Columbia for quite some time. He would be on the Supreme Court were it not for a 1980s controversy over him coming into contact with marijuana, which I know sounds absolutely ridiculous at this point. But Douglas Ginsburg is also the, the host, the guide of a new series on PBS called A More or Less Perfect Union. And Judge Ginsburg joins us now. How are you, sir? Great, thank you, and good morning, gentlemen. Good morning. It's, uh, it's a real pleasure to talk to you, especially at this time. And before we get into a more or less perfect union, what are your thoughts, what's your reaction to seeing some of the, uh, the restrictions on Americans' activities during the current health crisis?
2: Well, you know, it's going to take a little time to sort this out, and you can be sure there will be some litigation. Um, basically, all of the rights in the uh, Bill of Rights have been subjected to some reasonable uh limitations or exceptions, take the second amendment um I don't think anyone doubts now that it authorizes anyone to uh, authorizes us to have and and keep uh arms uh but I doubt very much that that would apply to uh uh shoulder launched grenades for instance um because it's just unreasonable so uh something like that's going to have to be sorted out here. And um, in general, emergency, you know, the states have the police power, not the federal government. And the police power uh, does encompass uh, uh, the ability to take some emergency actions. There's a, a great old case that's more than 100 years old, and you'll see why, uh, involving a, uh, a, a lawsuit against, the, the, I think it was Massachusetts for our locality there, for destroying someone's horses and um the the fact is the horse had a disease called glanders, which was readily communicable to other horses and uh the uh, The courts upheld the ability of the uh, locality to come in and slaughter all of the horses that had glanders or might have had glanders without a hearing without any proceedings in advance. Of course, they were destroying property, so later on there was there was a possible obligation to to pay for it. But um, no question that in an emergency like that, the locality and the state could act.
1: Interesting. Well, as you say, there will be uh, litigation, I think, for miles after this, as we've been discussing on the show how county by county by county in uh, California, for instance, where we live, there are vast differences in the restrictions being imposed. And some of them seem, you know, completely unreasonable, and I'm seriously tempted to go out and get arrested and <laughs> see what happens.
2: But, yeah. <laughs> well, no doubt, I maybe mean, there have been thousands of localities and, uh, and all 50 states now responding to this, and it would be surprising if there weren't some overreaching and some unreasonable steps in, in some jurisdictions.
1: Well, what's not surprising is that my wife thinks that's a terrible idea, but um, we'll we'll see how that goes. So let's let's talk about the series you're doing with PBS, A More or Less Perfect Union. Uh, what was the genesis of it, and what are you trying to communicate to the folks?
2: Well, th- thank you for asking. A More or Less Perfect Union is a re- is a response by response to what I have discovered. I guess I would say is um, the the decline of civics education in our primary and secondary schools across the country. It's not uniform, but it's pretty drastic in many places. Civics has been eliminated in many school systems. Hi- American history is uh, on the block in some or has already been eliminated. And uh, this is a this is a uh, potential tragedy. I mean, the public is not well informed about the Constitution, about their rights. Uh, and that that is a, uh, a formula for um for those rights being sacrificed basically to uh, to governments people need to know uh, something about the 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 government under which we live and and the limitations on it many of which have been loosened by the supreme court and by the congress with the court's acquiescence uh, but there are still limits and um uh, we need to we need to elect a elect Representatives who will adhere to those limits and appoint judges who will, uh, who will enforce them. So um, we're facing a difficult situation. The young people are quite ignorant, unfortunately, about um, such simple things as the structure of government, the three branches, um, who does what, uh, and uh, what, what their authority really is. What's the argument on the other side?
0: you you think we should have civics and history in school the people that are removing it what's their argument
2: well i think they say uh, they've got uh, limitations of budget and limitations of time and they've found that other things are more important i i strongly disagree with that
0: like what they're they're, they're the same number of hours in a day as when you and i went to school
2: um what what, what has to get pushed out for what <laughs> Probably fewer hours in the school day, but that's, I'm not sure of that. Uh, well, you know, all sorts of things get introduced into school curricula these days. Things that, there, there are demands for uh, teaching children about, um, about health and hygiene, uh, early sex education, financial literacy. All of those things have entered into some of the uh, school system's curricula, at the, and it has, something has to come out when they do that.
1: I would agree. Absolutely. Uh, Judge Douglas Ginsburg is on the phone. He's part of a new uh, PBS series. Uh, That's also available at pbs.org. That's probably the easiest way to find it, a more or less perfect union. The particulars of government and how it functions and how it ought to function, I think, are very important for young people to understand. But I I think some of the real guiding principles behind the Constitution, the Declaration of Independence, might be even more important. Uh, Like the idea that we are a free people and are only governed When necessary, I think there are generations of kids growing up thinking we only have freedom when it's permitted. The thing's
2: been stood on its head. There is a lot to that. And as one of the scholars in the program says, um, the Constitution is the law that governs those who govern us. It's easy to lose sight of that. That, Everything in the Constitution is about primarily, not everything, primarily about what the government cannot do. And then all of the limitations uh, before they can do something, how, how difficult it is to, to pass a bill through the Congress, for instance, um, and, and who's responsible for uh, 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 ratifying treaties, all of that are limitations that are meant to make it difficult to legislate, difficult to impinge upon the liberties of the people. Those, and as I say, those, those bounds have been slipped. Uh, very sig- significantly, the, can I give you an example from just the way in which this has happened? Yes, please. The, the, the two two major things: the Congress has delegated so much of its legislative authority to executive branch agencies. They create these agencies, g- then delegate to them very broad uh, authority to us to for some aspirational goal. They create the Environmental Protection Agency, for instance, and then say. Um, here's some here's some authority go go clean up the air and leave it to the EPA to make the tough decisions about who's going to who's going to pay for this, where are the burdens going to fall? And it never goes back to the Congress for that. So they get to take credit for for the aspiration, but don't have to take responsibility for the burdens. Then the agencies are exercising all three functions of government. They pass regulations that have the force of law which is a congressional uh, responsibility, really. They enforce those regulations against individuals and companies, which is a, an executive function, prosecution. And then they sit as the judge and jury as to whether someone has violated the rules that they passed and that they, that they decided to enforce against them. So it's exactly what James Madison called the very definition of tyranny, that is to say the combination of functions in one hand. The framers very carefully separated those functions, and they've come back together, and we are paying a price for it. How's it gotten that far? Well, you know, the Congress is anxious to shed responsibility, and the Supreme Court has uh, acquiesced in it. They started out saying, well, yes, you can delegate to the agencies some uh, just fill-in-the-blank sort of thing, where you've told them what to do, and they calculate what the tariff is or what have you. But eventually, uh, they, in the, uh, mid 20th century, came down to saying, well, if there's an intelligible principle for the agency to follow, that's good enough. And what do you know? Regulate in the, in the public interest is an intelligible principle. Well, it's just absurd. I mean, obviously there are no limitations, whatever. The Supreme Court has been rewriting the Constitution, uh, f- quite, uh, substantially since, since the, uh, mid 20th century. Take the, uh, example of the the interstate commerce clause, which authorizes the Congress to regulate commerce among the several states. In other words, goods and services that go from one state to another. And then in 1942, the Supreme Court said, well, it doesn't actually have to go from one state to another. If it is local, but it affects interstate commerce, that's sufficient. Well, almost everything affects interstate commerce. I mean, if you go get a haircut the barber is going to use some materials that cross state lines when he bought and opened the shop. It's, and so nothing, has, nothing is beyond, the, almost nothing is beyond the reach of the federal government as a result. That is not the Constitution we were given. Douglas
1: Ginsburg is an American judge, serves as a judge on the United States Court of Appeals for District of Columbia, part of a brand new series on PBS, which is really interesting. A final thought, or final question, those who advocate a living Constitution, and you've, you've referred to this idea a little bit that, uh, you know, the times change, the Constitution must, must change. Uh, what's your number one argument against that point of view?
2: Well, you know, the times do change. No one can argue with it. And the Constitution has to change to uh, reflect important uh, differences over long periods of time. That's why Article 5 provides a process for amending the Constitution. It does not say the Supreme Court may update the text from time to time as needed. It says that the uh, there's a procedure and three, three, uh, three quarters of the states have to agree, uh, as well as two-thirds of each House of Congress. And uh, we've done that 27 times. But meanwhile, the Supreme Court's been busily making its own changes completely unauthorized let me tell you this this program you know it's three hours and it's meant for children from grade 7 through 12 as well as the public television audience and and other adults it cannot be a lecture it is has got to be entertaining and engaging and uh, take a look at it i can assure you it is
1: Uh, a more or less perfect union is at uh, pbs's website and check your local listings uh Justice Ginsburg we appreciate your uh time and your thoughts very much. I I I would like to throw myself at your feet and and have you train me in the ways of uh constitutional adherence. I, I love everything you had to say and, and we thank you. Thanks so much for having me. Uh, fantastic. Thanks. Uh Sean what what would he be he'd be my sensei,
2: right? Uh yeah, that yeah. I I'm yeah, I'll go with that.
1: You I would don, don the robes. I would do the exercises. If he wanted to, like, yell at me and kick me, I would take it. Snatch the pebble from his hand. If necessary? Yeah. Absolutely. My, con-
0: my concern is that all these government officials really enjoyed flexing this, uh, this muscle that they would never flexed before, where they can really tell us what to do. Your business is closed, and you're not allowed to go to the park. And they're going to they're gonna enjoy uh, uh, trying that out for the rest of their lives. Maybe the next thing for people to Google is the Stanford Prison Experiment. Where uh, back in the
1: '60s, where you like, uh, you learn that as Bart Simpson and, and Cartman
0: on South Park did, people get a taste of authority and they really, really like it. Yeah, <laughs> uh, we got much more on the way. Our text line four one five two nine five KFTC.
3: Armstrong. The Armstrong and Getty Show.
2: To tackle this pandemic, guess what we have to do. No more handshakes, no more high fives, and don't even mention the Eurokiss. The only greeting we need is the halfway. It's 50%. Hello. And 50%. Eh, go away. Go away. It's worked for me for years.
0: Uh Larry David doing his Bernie Sanders on Saturday night live from home which was on Saturday night. Hold on I'm going to sneeze. <laughs> it's the Chinese bad eating flu. It's
1: Actually, the first sign you sneeze. Probably not. Um, um 25% of Wyoming's ins are drinking on the job at home. Jack
0: 25%. Shocking. Shocking it's that low. You know what uh, yeah I saw I saw that over the weekend the number of people that are drinking while they're um, working because they got a job where they can work from home. You know that's the way uh, America used to do it actually during maybe our most productive period in US history it wasn't it wasn't seen as like a crime like being a pedophile to have a drink in the workplace or at a business lunch or whatever. Right, and, and have every a glass whatever. of wine at lunch, right? And everybody is perfectly fine. And now people are finding out, hey, I can have a drink at home while I'm working. And guess what? I didn't crash a car or rape anybody or anything. It's just amazing.
1: Yeah, th- yeah they act like you have a glass of wine at lunch that you you brought a loaded machine gun into the office. And they're right. pointing at it, people threatening them
0: with it. It's unbelievable. We've become they're- this weird, prudish society. Um, there's so many things that are going to change out of this, I think, and I wonder if they'll be permanent or, or for a while. The Realizing that more and more people can work from home is a good one. I also came across this from Politico just a little bit ago. Uh, an article about um, uh, 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 people are then and making decisions about colleges right now. Some high school seniors are dropping their first-choice schools in favor of colleges that are cheaper and closer to home. Well, what a novel idea. Mm. Don't, don't rack up as much debt or put as much emphasis on that college way over there. Surveys, surveys have found this is happening. Others are thinking about going part-time or taking, um, a a job so they can pay for more of the blah, blah, blah. So yeah, uh, things that maybe should have been happening all along might start happening out of this. Who knows?
1: Yeah, I was expressing that hope we both were. I think it was last week that this pause, the pause that refreshes, I think it will lend us some clarity about certain things that we've been ignoring as it whirled by as we've just run as hard as we could on the treadmill. I, I think it will, it'll yield some good stuff. It all, may also yield terrible,
0: terrible uh, poverty and unemployment, but we'll see. Why are people in the United States still covering for China in the WHO? I don't get it. We've got an example of that coming up. And this whole idea of getting reinfected uh, with coronavirus that seems to be an actual thing. I, I find that troubling. Does anybody understand this? How you get it, you get over it, and then you get it again? <laughs>
2: call it wrong they really they missed the call if you don't want many more body bags then you refrain from politicizing it
3: i can't believe he's talking about politics when look at the relationship they have to china
0: I was very disappointed over the weekend the way, uh if the media touched on this subject at all, they explained it as kind of a, you know, as if it were one of your typical back and forths between Trump and somebody. Where oftentimes there is... um a you know, a regular theme of the last couple of years has been Trump says something outlandish, this person fires back, they fire back and forth, and it's just a little soap opera that lasts a day or two. Um, and 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 Donald Trump feels that's to his benefit in a lot of ways, so he gets into those on purpose. But they presented this story that way on a lot of the uh, Sunday shows over the weekend, and this is not one of those stories. This is a completely different story in that. Trump is absolutely right. The WHO is a bad organization. They're on the side of China for some reason. Um, and, and, and the media has a responsibility, I think, to not decide all of a sudden to be fair and present it as, you know, Trump said this, they say that. No, come on. Come on, U.S. media. Play a role in here as an umpire on who tends to be more right on this subject. I was really disappointed in that over the weekend. Well, if you look at the the headlines, as I was just a second ago, they are either how
1: horrible this thing is, how bad Trump is, and there's absolutely nothing on what you're talking about, and there's nothing on the need, the really bitter, bitter need to get the economy going again. So it's amazingly one-sided. Uh, and you know what? In a couple of minutes, because I know you have a couple of things you want to do here, but there, it, Victor Davis Hansen just wrote a piece in the National Review, which is almost hilarious in its uh, indictment of the media. And it's not the usual shots about the media. It's just that they have no idea what they're doing. They literally don't know how to do their jobs.
0: Yeah, well, boy, I felt that way yesterday. Here's um uh, some crumb bum from Johns Hopkins University on one of your Sunday talk shows.
2: So the U.S. needs the World Health Organization to function properly. It is the organization that helps the world get prepare and respond to this. We're gonna need the
0: world to recover from COVID in order to get normalcy back around the world. We need the WHO. I, I don't think that they have been uh, be- favoring one, contra- one country over another. It's a really difficult situation. But overall, I think the U.S. should continue to do what it's been doing over time, which is work very closely with the World Health Organization and, and support its work. You don't think they have been favoring one country over another? They praised China's transparency and as a a model that the other uh, countries should look toward with no mention whatsoever of the fact that China hid this from the world and is really the cause of all this economic devastation and loss of life. Yet, wow. Well, and then pretended
1: that the U.S. is politicizing this. You know, never mind whether they favored one country over another. They favored one country over the truth which in medicine
0: is a pretty grave sin. Yeah, and, and again, what bothered me was the, uh, the Sunday talk shows presenting, is it just another Trump and somebody going back and forth? Come on! Anybody paying any attention or even trying to be honest understands there's something strange about the World Health Organization and their love of uh, promoting the Chinese propaganda over the truth. Uh, We no longer have a media that has an interest in standing up for the United States against communist China. I find that incredibly troubling.
1: No, I think they are primarily driven by their role in the resistance, honestly um Man, to that the is, that is of an
0: obvious story in which the dirty commie chinese are the bad guys that is trump derangement syndrome to its extreme when you're when you're willing to overlook the evil communist chinese and and this you know the, the greatest catastrophe of many people's lifetimes brought on by the chinese government and you're, but you you hate trump so much you can't point that out that's that's just amazing
1: Right, right. If Trump is against anything, you're for it. Even if it's the communist Chinese who started a worldwide pandemic and covered it up to make extra sure lots and lots of people would die. Yeah, I'd say that's Trump arrangement syndrome.
0: Well, Bill Maher wanted to give China a good blasting. This is from uh, his at-home version of his show Friday night.
3: The wet markets in China, the ones where exotic animals are sold and consumed, are already starting to reopen. The PC police say it's racist to attack any cultural practice that's different than our own. I say liberalism lost its way when it started thinking like that. Dr. Fauci says we should force a global closure of the wet markets because the current crisis is a, quote, direct result of them. On Monday, the UN's acting head of biodiversity said the same thing. So when someone says, what if people hear Chinese virus and blame China? The answer is we should blame China, not Chinese Americans. But we can't stop telling the truth because racists get the wrong idea. There are always going to be idiots out there who want to indulge their prejudices. But this is an emergency. Don't we have bigger tainted fish to fry? Jesus, if the sun was exploding, Twitter would pile on the first guy who called it a dwarf star.
0: <laughs> That's a funny line. That is really good. Although the uh, the thinking is now that
1: uh, it was Chinese researchers studying this funky, funky virus in a lab who accidentally let it loose, and it probably didn't come from directly from the wet market. It came from Chinese incompetence.
0: Yeah, so I followed a couple of different stories on that over the weekend and one podcast I really enjoyed from a reporter out of Hong Kong that the whole uh, wet market thing has been a red herring that the, the communist Chinese have been wanting to promote from the beginning because it, uh, it obscures the fact that it ca- it came out of a lab somehow. And, you know, why or how, that's that's, that's a question that they don't want answered for some reason. Right, the the whole it's a, a Chinese weapon that they were
1: working on. I don't actually buy that. I think the evidence against that is better than the evidence for it. But I do absolutely buy the idea that the researchers in this lab in Wuhan, and, and there is documentation of this. There have been articles that have come out through the recent months and years. They're incompetent. They're sloppy. They don't follow the rules of uh, of protecting themselves and others uh, against the the uh, uh, microbes, the dangerous microbes they're dealing with. I absolutely could believe that, and that's a hundred percent the sort of thing that China would cover up because they can't admit to any imperfections in the communist yeah, it party.
0: Would, it would make more sense as to why they worked so hard to try to keep this secret. You know, jailing doctors, uh, journalists being disappeared who talked about this. If it's something that came out of, you know, a state lab uh, and they screwed up, they really want to hide that way more than if it, you know, jumped out of some bat. At a wet market, you know it, it. It even it did seem excessive, even for the Chinese communists to cover it up as
1: as hardcore as they did in the early days. Because I was thinking, look, all right, so you didn't get control of a pandemic in time. It's not a great look for the Communist Party, but it seems crazy to me that you'd you'd throw doctors in jail and the rest of it for that. But no, that that is a missing piece, though that explains it. Anyway, the origin of it is is less interesting at this point to me than the response in the United States and what we do going forward as we uh cripple the economy, take away people's constitutional rights, and in a lot of places as we've been as we've been discussing today, they're cracking down harder and harder even as the
0: cases and deaths aren't materializing. Oh, yeah. One more thing on the China thing that popped into my head. So that Dr. Gottlieb that has become my favorite person to see, the guy who used to run the FDA, he was on on one of the talk shows yesterday, and he was the only person I uh, saw give the WHO, the World Health Organization, the kicking they deserve. And he said China actually had information about um, the strain of this virus, Early on, that would have been incredibly helpful to the rest of the world to get a many months head start on trying to come up with some sort of vaccine or medicine for it. And they kept that information from us and the World Health Organization um, allowed that to happen. Wow. Wow. See, that is that's practically an act of war. Yeah. How do you not lay the deads at their feet?
1: Uh, Well, you do. Well, if they'd done that at sea or or with a a missile or something, we'd be uh, sinking one of their warships. Yeah, I'm not calling for war with China, but I'm just saying it is, is an egregious act.
0: Well, there is an organization in the world that is supposed to point that sort of thing out when it happens. To really? the rest of the world, who is that? And we give them four hundred million dollars to, uh, to 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 uh, yeah. It's called the World Health Organization, and that's what their job is to keep an eye on this sort of thing and alert us when it happens. Uh, but uh, for some reason, they're doing just the opposite. But anyway, that's enough oh, of that. Hey, for now, you know I what, hope the, this story doesn't die. I hope people, smart people, stay on this story. Uh, Why don't we play clip 43 right now? That's the perfect clip to play to
1: end this. Go ahead. We're
3: not so sure that it will come in waves in the way that influenza does. We think it's going to be a virus that stalks the human race for quite a long time to come until we can all have a vaccine that will protect us and that there will be small outbreaks that will emerge sporadically and they will break through our defenses.
1: Uh, I don't think that's the clip I wanted. The one that says, uh, China provided access and we trust their information from the uh, World Health Organization. I've got the wrong the, number there, sorry. No, that's all right. It happens. But anyway, so the WHO continues to kiss China's butt in spite of everything we've talked about. So, Victor Davis Hansen, who's uh, a, a great thinker and a friend of the Armstrong and Getty show, kind of got in the middle of this whole question. And the follow-up by the media is hilariously incompetent. You want to stay tuned. Coming up next.
3: Armstrong and Getty.
2: The Armstrong and Getty Show.
0: So, certainly at some point, I want to hear more about why people are getting reinfected. Is that, is that a real thing? So in South Korea, they got a whole bunch of people that had it, got over it, and now have it again. So. That's not good. No, and that, you've heard, you've heard that story. We've mentioned it a couple places around, you know, it started in China, but you can't believe anything out of there. But, um. If, that, if, if you can get this thing more than once, then that's really a problem. So I, I'd like them to get that nailed down. Well, yeah, and and I've heard some people have said, this stuff's so hard to nail down, but
1: that there's a problem with when they're testing them and they weren't actually over it and stuff that's like that. That's what because, I assumed. Because that's if you I can get way. it, get over it, then get it again, that means a vaccine wouldn't do you any good.
0: Uh, uh, or it, at least yes, in some
1: uh, cases. Yeah. So, yeah, let's try to nail that down. Maybe we can ask the WHO to quit kissing China's ass and work on that for a minute. So, Victor (laughs) Davis Hanson, a friend of the Armstrong and Getty Show, member of the Hoover Institution, writer, thinker, uh, farmer, Central California, uh, did a piece a couple of weeks ago for National Review Online, uh, knocking around a couple of theories why California which seemed ripe for a New York-style epidemic with the COVID, had been, as he said, strangely exempt, at least for a while, from viruses spread. I'm quoting from his piece now. I included the pedestrian possibility of some previously acquired herd immunity, given the state's exposure from November to January uh, to direct flights from China, including those from Wuhan and and so you know he had a few different theories and wasn't the conclusion of the article is we really don't know why california is so untouched and then uh, he writes this is where it gets really interesting <clears throat> within a few days i was hit by media inquiries and private calls asking about my ongoing coronavirus antibody testing studies despite ad nauseum corrections that i had never claimed in the NRO article or anywhere else, to be a doctor, much less an epidemiologist or a guy conducting any study, that the Hoover Institution is not a medical school, the fake news still spread. I got dozens more calls and emails from private citizens who thought they had the virus, wanted confirmation in order to venture out and help others with antibodies. Some said they wanted into the study immediately. Others called saying they were scared of what that they had an unknown illness and wanted confirmation of what it had been. And some were from Chinese media sources wanting such lab confirmation that earlier herb or herd immunity developed in California pre-2020 because that was the final proof needed of an American origin rather than a later Chinese genesis of the virus. Oddly, they apparently assumed that any such future study were to show some sizable herd immunity in California. Well, he gets kind of into, into a side that's long, but the Chinese media was more than happy to talk to him. Oddly, the more one agreed to go on California radio or be interviewed to correct the glaring media errors, the more the media ignored the correction and instead wanted to know about your ongoing lab studies and herd immunity. When pressed, none of these California reporters could cite the NRO article or any non-existent study and seemed uninterested in being directed to a number of excellent essays and analyses on various hypotheses from Stanford Medical School, affiliated scientists and doctors, and some who are or are about to conduct antibody studies. Fake news is real. Um... It's it's absolutely hilarious. So he writes this article saying some say this, some say that. I really don't know what to think. And so now he's been badgered
0: by media for weeks asking him about his study. They don't even read the articles. So you take that as uh, like people with an agenda or is that just incompetence? Incompetence. Yeah. That's what I, that's, that's what I was thinking. Uh, we, we have uh, p- proximity for, to, to news, uh, huh, I'm trying to be vague here. Um, we, 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 we have been in, uh, in and around the world of people who write news for several decades now. And the quality of that has gone off a cliff over the last couple of decades. And so that's not surprising to me at all. Yeah, as the media landscape has shifted
1: and budgets have tightened, it's gone from uniformly very good, you know, middle class people with families and kids and a house and a nice car and the rest of it as professional journalists. Now, to a large extent, it's kids right out of school who are doing their best. I assume they're doing their best of what talent level they are, you know, it varies person to person. There are still some absolutely excellent people doing journalism, and we know some of them. There are also a lot of kids who have no idea what they're doing.
0: Yeah, uh, yeah, but so getting to that story, um, you have a lot fewer journalists who are like a 40 year old with a wife and kids or husband and kids, like you were talking and a about. A little life experience, yeah. Yeah, yeah and, and, and the resources. And and because you're getting a real salary, the um, the motivation to try to get the story right, right. Well, and, and a reputation. Well, it's because
1: excellence was respected and praised, uh, you know, for the entirety of journalism up until fairly recently. And now it's just you know, can you uh, can you check the boxes and just fill in the blanks and get me a little content. And and again, it has something to do with the changing media landscape and budgets and ad revenue and the rest of it, but it's it's
0: pretty shocking. Um, I came across this over the weekend, the future of remote work. 82% don't expect to return to the office in the same way as before. I don't know if it'll live up to that number, but uh certainly could be uh, a notable change in the way we go about work. 82%? I, I that doesn't surprise me um, that eighty two percent of people would say Nah, I'm not going to go into the office or spend as much time as the office in the offices I did before. Now that you've got a setup for uh, for doing it another way, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. what's the advantage to being in the office? Right. Well, uh, yeah, yeah. I uh, I where think else it'll will probably my growing and... sense of
1: dread grow? <laughs> <laughs> you got to let me have the bottle of vodka in the top drawer, then I'll come back. Yeah. Now, according to virtually everybody, we have passed the peak of deaths per day and beds and respirators and ICU beds and everything needed or or in the US, I mean we're going to peak. No, that's right. It is past the peak. Yeah, you know, just recheck nationally? the state. Yeah. Yeah, nationally and in virtually every state too. Do you have a state you'd like to know about? The troubled New York perhaps? Are they past the peak? Uh, Let's find out. Although these models, again, are imperfect at best. Yeah, they say it's worth their five days past the peak in New York in terms of equipment needed, four days past the peak in terms of deaths per day. Uh, Let's see, the last day that they actually had reported their deaths, which was uh, late last week, there were, oh, that's the total, 7,800 total. Let's see, per day, the last number they had was 799 on Thursday. Uh, which is still a hell of a lot of people, but it's
0: comparable to a pretty bad flu season. Right. Um, So much more on the way. Our shrinking attention span, which I'm not sure is getting better through all this. Or maybe we're noticing more during this that we have no attention span. But there's some new studies out on that, um, why you can't pay attention. Uh, hello. I said there are studies out there on why you can't. I'm trying. Hello. Over here. There are studies on why you can't pay attention. Sorry, that took too long. That took longer yeah. than eight. Eight seconds is our total. Armstrong. And get-